right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Locked On Gators, part of the Locked On Podcast Network and your home for daily Florida Gators football coverage. I'm your host, Zach Goodall. Make sure to throw me a follow on Twitter at Zach underscore Goodall, as well as my co-host, Demetrius Harvey. You can find him at Demetrius82. Demetrius, say what's up to the people. What's up, everyone? Hope you enjoyed yesterday's episode of the Locked On Gators podcast. We really brought the heat. You know, we talked about the Senior Bowl stuff. Talked about a lot of other topics that we're going to continue to talk about every single day. So you guys get the most informative, entertaining, and respectful podcast on the in the globe, maybe. I don't know if it's actually global. Uh-huh. On the I wonder if we're global. We are worldwide. We're worldwide. We're probably in China right now. You know, people are listening. People listen everywhere. They kind of just, you know, they're like, oh, what's going on with Locked On Gators? You know, some people... Some people just like to listen to podcasts. They don't even know what the topic is. I know if so, Jackie was on the show right now, she'd have made a joke from Pitbull's 305, Mr. Worldwide, and turned it to 352. Whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever would float your boat there. All right. But anyway, yeah, so, let's, uh, yeah, let's let's give him a Gator show and not Pitbull jokes. I, I cringe very hard making that. Anyway, uh, we've got a show for you guys tonight. We are going to be talking about what we would like to see from Florida in a game against Vanderbilt where, you know, me and Demetrius called last week a trap game. People didn't like that. I, I would like to think we were still correct in the idea that it wasn't a team Florida should have slept on. Not You're talking about the sleep. Arkansas game. What did I say? Yeah, You said Vanderbilt. But I'm sorry. Okay. Yes, yes, I meant the Arkansas game, calling it a trap game. Uh, with that, like, I understand why people were upset, but it was a game where you can't really sleep on it. Vanderbilt... You know, you can't sleep on any opponent, but... I'm sleeping. But but it is Vanderbilt. So, with that, we, we want to see some different stuff from the Gators. You know, maybe they can experiment with some stuff to put up a ton of points. Maybe they can play all freshmen in the second half. I don't know. Let's get weird. Bottom line is, is like it should be a game where they have a comfortable lead that is not threatened whatsoever, and that's what we want. We want to talk about exactly what we should see from this team in a week where they can just kind of do whatever they want. After that, we will be going into the Gators travel plan, speaking of Vanderbilt. It is the first time, and I think we mentioned it earlier in the week as well, that they are actually going on an away trip since Texas A&M when they had the COVID outbreak. They went to Jacksonville, of course, but it wasn't necessarily the same. They rode buses there. So we're going to go over those protocols and you know, talk about if there's anything that we should be worried about. I, I figure there is some room for concern, but we'll go ahead and get into the game itself because that, as of right now, is on track to happen. Demetrius, we were talking about it beforehand, like the idea of maybe seeing more Emery or Anthony Richardson should they get a comfortable lead. You know, let Kyle go out and set more records if it's pretty easy, but then you can't take any more risks at this point with his health when you know the trajectory of this team. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, the Gators are the leading contender for the SEC championship game for the SEC East this year by virtue of their victory over Georgia. Obviously, it's going to be tough for Georgia to get back in that race because they would need Florida to drop pretty much two of their next four games. And I personally don't see that happening. And I don't know about you, Zach. I think that it's pretty much a, you know, a known thing that they're going to be in the SEC title game. So you're right. You know, you can't have Trask go down due to injury. That would probably be the worst thing to happen to not only Kyle Trask, but also for the Gators offense, because at that point you'd be having Emory Jones go in really cold because he hasn't played very much on the flip side. Against Vanderbilt, a team that has lost every single game this season, they lost to Florida 56-0 to last season. 
you're supposed to beat this team resoundedly. You're supposed to beat this team pretty much, pretty much more than you did last year. So there could be a time, maybe, maybe even a full half, where Kyle Trask isn't in the game anymore because the Gators are up by so many points. See, if that's last... the case, then... oh, go ahead. But if that's the case, then you get Emory Jones in there for maybe even a quarter, and you can get another guy, maybe Anthony Richardson, for another quarter. And just having those guys have a little bit of experience in case Kyle does go down, you're going to need them to not just enter cold. Pretty much Emory hasn't thrown the ball much all season. We know that he threw more last week, and he was able to get a touchdown out of it. But we have to be able to see him get into a rhythm, get off his feet. I know he's been practicing, but it's not the same as being in the game. Yeah, now last year they got off to a bit of a slow start against Vanderbilt uh, in what ended up being a 56-0 victory. 14 points in the first half uh, compared to 42 in the second. I think this year it's a way more sound team, and forgive me, I don't have the play-by-play, but Trask threw two interceptions in the game throughout the game, uh, whereas Emory Jones was able to get playing time sporadically. He had two, he had three passes, completed two of them. He also rushed for three touchdowns. I'd almost like to see it be more of a uniform plan where it is get Trask in and out first half. It shouldn't be a 14-0 to zero lead at halftime. It Considering they've been able to put up 38 points in halves throughout the year, I I see him hitting 42. Like the idea of Kyle Trask throwing six first half touchdown passes this week is not far fetched. And if that happens, then at that point, yeah, you just you just put in Emory and Anthony for the rest. Right, and this year they've already had games where they've scored maybe like 28 points in a quarter. So I feel as though that's a pretty achievable goal against a team like Vanderbilt. There's obviously some bad blood. I think I saw recently a, like a clip. I didn't see this game live, I don't think, last year, but I saw a clip of uh, Vanderbilt head coach Derek Mason going after Dan Mullen. I'm not sure exactly what the context that, was. Yeah, but that, were, that, that was that was two years ago, but that, that, was two all, years ago? that was all fine and done afterwards. Yeah, but, you know, I'm just trying to hype the game up for the fans here, Zach. You know, <laughs> just get them a little riled up, ready to go. You know, hey, Vanderbilt I mean, hate week. It's been a poor season for Vanderbilt. They've... They've remained strong. Derek Mason's remained strong. I could see him being passionate. I guess. Yeah, you know, it, you you gotta you gotta play it. You gotta play it up a little bit. Yeah. But anyways, what I was saying is, this is a game where maybe they're gonna go in and they're gonna try to prove a point. They don't want anybody to say, "Oh, well, you know, the Gators beat Vanderbilt, but they kind of struggled a couple of times." So, what I really want to see out of this game from both the offense and defensive side, just in general, the game in general is them playing a full, complete game. They need to be able to play as if it's almost perfect. You know, we keep hearing that word when we're asking the coaches and the players about how they want to see the offense this year, and they keep saying they want it to be perfect. They want to score on every drive. They want to score on every play. They want to be the best team ever, you know. Well, show it this week. You can be perfect this week because you're going up against a team that has nothing to play for. You're in the middle of a pandemic there's probably some players that don't even want to play anymore. They're really tired. It's been a long season. They've had to go through so much. Put up the points. On defense, make sure you stop them. And on special teams, I didn't like what I saw last week on the on the coverage units. I'm not sure that many people would pay attention to that, but I paid co- close attention to it because Dan Mullen talked about the coverage units a week prior and how he wanted to see improvement, or he saw that they were actually good without players that he expected to be back the next week, and then they were back. And then now all of a sudden you see Arkansas popping off 40-yard kick return. So I want to see a couple more things where they can play a full, complete game finally and just basically just crush the team 
and move on. I specifically agree on defense. I'm cool with a non-perfect game offensively. You don't want you would like to see the game where they do execute every last play perfectly offensively because that gives you the most hope for Alabama, right? But personally, right. I, I want to see it defensively. Todd Grantham says like they consistently want three and outs or one or first down and outs, uh, as he coined it last night as well when we got to talk to him. It, it consistently do that and consistently wear them down. It should be like last year where Vanderbilt scored zero points. Maybe by the grace of God, they get off a field goal. But like, yeah, it's exactly that. Specific. I, I get it offensively, but I'm cool with it being the defense is weak to come out and be perfect. And then what else do we want to see from Florida versus Vanderbilt? Besides just the game plan and besides what we want to see in terms of the defense and offense playing a perfect game, we want to see some young guys take the field. We want to see more freshmen. We want to see guys that haven't been utilized too much because, again, it's just the perfect opportunity to get them those reps. That could be super important down the line. So when we come back from this quick break, we'll be talking about exactly who we want to see. What's up, everybody? This is Zach Goodall, host of the Locked On Gators podcast. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Whether it's work, friends, family, a million pressing social issues, or just an expectation in general to be on 24-7. Sometimes you need to just take a moment, turn off, hit reset. You need to chill. And that's when you reach for a Coors Light. Especially on game days, man. I'll tell you what, I can't really drink much during college football Saturdays, but on NFL Sundays, it's therapeutic for me, man, to sit down, drink a beer, and enjoy some football. And that's what I do. I'll reach for a Coors Light. It's the official beer of watching any sport, just to drink beer. It's mountain cold refreshment that's literally made to chill. It's cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. Coors Light is the beer I choose when I need to unwind. So when you need to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. That's get.coorslight.com to get Coors Light delivered straight to your door. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. What's up, everyone? This is Zach Goodall, host of the Lockdown Gators podcast. And I'll tell you what. Being a sports journalist, doing what I do every day, I do need a lot of energy. I'm a guy that's always drank coffee, but recently it's just not been getting it done for me in order for me to break through my wall, which is why I've been going towards Built Go as a replacement for any other energy drink because it's a lot more healthy. It's brought to you by the same folks that brought us Built Bar, my favorite protein bar that we've talked about plenty here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. It's great because not only does Built Go bring you energy, but it also gives you protein. It's also loaded with vitamins uh, such as B6 and B12, 10,000% of your daily value, and other great things, including collagen protein that's fast-absorbing to get into your system fast. Plus, it's easy on your stomach when you've got a long day ahead, filled with work, where you really need this energy. It comes in three great flavors, my favorite being the peanut butter honey. It's got a kick of caffeine, and it's only 1.5 ounces in each package. So it's easy to carry around, easy to take with you whenever you need it. Visit BuiltGo.com and use the promo code LOCKED and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. Let's break through those walls. All right, Demetrius, I know we talked a lot about the offense in the last segment, and I know there's a lot of guys on offense that you want to see. And I know they're not just 
young guys and freshmen like we've talked about all year, but we're at the point now where there's a couple guys they've just not seen the field much in their career. Maybe their career is coming to a close. Could be, at least, with the weird extended eligibility. But regardless, who do you want to see on the field on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson, obviously. Those two guys getting in there. Obviously, Richardson's a true freshman. He's a young guy. We want to see what we've got out of him or what they've got out of him. Did you but, just say we? I said we. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to cater to, to you guys as a fan base. You know, I'm trying to trying to get on board. No. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying what what we've got out of him in terms of the whole Gators, media, Gator, fandom, Gator-centric stuff. But I digress. I, I think that they need to see what they've got out of their young receivers. Frazier's, we haven't seen any of him really this year, I don't think. At least, I, I'm not sure if you've seen him on the field, I don't Zach, think he's, but I don't think he's played at all. And if he has, it's been nothing worthwhile. Sure. And, you know, I don't think that he's been necessarily an unavailable guy every single week. So they have have him available, and, you know, why not just throw him out there to see what he's got, especially in this kind of game. This might be their only game this season because they haven't had, you know, those typical quote-unquote cupcake games where basically Florida pays another team to win. You know, that's how those kind of games are scheduled where they play a Conference USA team or whether it's a MAC team or just any other lower division team. And so this might be the only one on the SEC-only schedule where you can see those guys. So him, maybe a guy like Xavier Henderson, who we've seen some of for sure, definitely way more than any other young player I feel like on offense, but see more of him in there. Maybe even throw in a Jordan Pouncey, who's an older guy. We haven't seen him either. We haven't seen him out of the slot. You know, Dan Mullins talked about him a little bit. He's coming. He came back from the injury. I think he was injured could be completely wrong there, but he was coming back or he was made available at some point and he should be ready to go, right? So him and then Richard Sr. Rick Wells. This is supposed to be a guy that <laughs> coming into the season, everyone's hyping up Rick Wells. I think that maybe, I don't know about if you guys have been doing this every single year and I just got caught in the trap too, but I was hearing a lot of buzz about Rick Wells coming into this season. I'm, I'm, I was excited to see what he's doing. You know, obviously he's wearing number 12, Van Jefferson's number from last season. He's trying to put on a new show. Like, he, he's been in the game a couple times, but we haven't seen him catch the ball. So maybe see him get in there. And like Zach said, you know, maybe maybe Rick Wells is the, is the guy to take another year of eligibility, get in there for a sixth season, <laughs> a Gator lifer. I mean, hey, there's another guy that wears number 12 that we were really excited for in the offseason and nothing happened. He ended up opting out, that being C.J. McWilliams. So, McWilliams, yep. Yeah, but, I don't remember I talking see, about him. I would love to huh? see Rick, Willi- uh, Rick Wells come out and do something because I've been on this beat for two years now and I can't actually think of a worthwhile moment he's had. And he's a Jacksonville boy. I right. want to see that. Jacksonville boy, he went to Reigns. Yeah. Right down the street from, you know, Everything, but uh, <laughs> other uh, other players, maybe a running back or two that we haven't seen too much of. Obviously, we've seen a little bit, tiny little sliver of Iverson Clement getting the ball. I think he had the one pretty nice gain, and then he didn't really play much after that. I forget when what game it was a couple couple weeks ago. Uh, it was the Missouri game, and then uh, Lingard got one too. Lingard got one. I don't know if he actually did much. It was like on a, his a loss. Or like no gain. 
Right, but I mean, he only got one carry. But yeah. Lingard was one of the guys who, coming into the season, obviously he's a five, former five-star running back from Miami, a transfer. People were extremely excited about him. I know that for a fact. Everybody was banging the table about how the Gators are going to be so dynamic with Damian Pierce. Lingard as the guy who might come in on third downs too. He can catch the ball. He's fast. Ran extremely fast in high school. And then people were even putting Malik Davis below him. And now we see, obviously, Naquan Wright has gotten involved. Malik Davis is heavily involved. Damian Pierce is the bell cow, quote-unquote. And so now you get to see a guy like Lingard get, in the, get into the game and you know maybe see what he's got a little bit while you guys go through the final four games of the season. But th- those are some of the guys that I think that I would want to see a little bit more of. I would put in a Ethan White because he's coming back from the injury, but I'm no, I don't necessarily know if this is the game to get him action, but he does need to get a little warmed up, so maybe put him in there too. But those are the guys on offense, at least, that I would like to see get into the action. Yeah, I guess I'll keep it to talking defense. There's three guys particularly. I'd like to see Prince Leumann Malin because he's coming and he's really flashed on the defensive line. And he's a guy that next year, especially if Zach Carter were to declare at this point, because he's playing pretty well, two SEC Defensive Linemen of the Week awards this year. He's a guy that would attract NFL uh, coaches and scouts with his versatility, disruption, and his size. Prince Leumann Malin is the next candidate to step up at strong side defensive end guy that could also potentially move inside and we've seen princely fluctuate his weight a good bit as a recruit uh when he first in, uh enrolled at florida he was like 280 and now he's back down a good bit below that uh, forgive me for not knowing the exact weight it's probably closer to 240 or 250 now but he, he can fluctuate he's a guy that you probably will want to move inside and out because he's super lengthy he's got great get off this is the type of game where i mean like last year we saw muhammad diabate come in and he was able to have a huge game against Vanderbilt as a pass rusher. Maybe Princely will be able to come in and do that too, because I think he's been quietly one of their most impressive freshmen whenever he's able to take the field. And then there's another two guys, particularly at linebacker. I'd like to see Tyron Hopper, because I think when he comes in, we've seen in flashes what he can do in pass uh, coverage. It's the same stuff we talked about coming out of high school. And maybe he's not going to be a three-down guy right now, although he has gotten a lot bigger, and you'd hope he could come and fill and make tackles and make big plays, fight offensive linemen in the run game. But he's a former safety. He's got great athleticism and range to go and cover, and we know that their linebackers could use some help in coverage. So even if he ends up becoming a third-down uh, linebacker from a great performance against a team like Vanderbilt, like that's something that you wouldn't learn without those reps against a team like Vanderbilt. So someone like him, maybe a freshman like Derek Wingo. From, from what I understand, he's a really smart kid that does – really well in meetings with the team and he understands the defense it's stuff that goes back to his time at st thomas aquinas and we've talked about it before he's just very mentally sharp after making a transition from quarterback to defense and winning florida football player of the year in high school by gatorade after his senior season so those three type of guys they could end up being guys you want to build around with this defense priority recruits have made shown flashes, either shown flashes like a guy like Princely and Tyron, or you know a guy like Derek is incredibly smart, and eventually you want him to be your middle linebacker. So, Demetrius, I know I've ranted a little bit here as well, but I'm, it's the same points that we keep going back to. This is the game mm-hmm. where you want to see these things happen, for sure. Right, for sure. And and for the record, uh, Princely is now at 255 on the Florida Gators roster. Nice. Uh, take that, you know however you want to take it because you know we've seen 
couple fluctuations from the roster to the actual play. But um, I, I do think that a couple guys that you mentioned, but also maybe a Jalen Lee. I'm not sure if you mentioned him. And then obviously a Dexter. You want to see him get more involved because Grantham did speak about how Dexter has been getting his snaps increased, but we kind of looked back at it and, you know, in the first few weeks without Campbell in there, he was playing a little bit more 20 something snaps, I believe in weeks two and three or weeks one and two, whichever the two it was. I've got, I've got and, the stats right here. First week, 12, right. second week, 27, third week, 24. And right. then over the last three weeks, it's been 13, 11 and 11. Right. So he hasn't really necessarily been getting his snaps increase. If anything, it's been decreasing over the, as the season has progressed. And I think that this is an excellent game to get him a lot more reps and just have him in there and get used to playing a lot because he's going to be a starter next year. He's going to be a guy getting in there every single snap, nearly at least 50%, you know, rotating, of course, because all defensive, all good defensive lines rotate their guys nowadays, especially in college, especially in the NFL. They just have to rotate them because of how fast-paced these offenses are. They just can't keep up. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I I agree with you on the tire on on the on the Hopper thing because Hopper's a guy who can go sideline to sideline, and we don't necessarily see that from the Gators linebackers too often. Now, obviously, they have some very athletic linebackers, but you know, beforehand, even last year with Reese, he wasn't a sideline to sideline guy. This year, you know, you have Miller, who's very, you know, he he can be quick, but he's not, he's still not as athletic as. He's always like as, one step behind. He can sure, make a he's play. Only, he can make a play on a ball that he should be intercepting. Right, and he's not like a Diabati, a, a guy who's extremely athletic, and I think that he actually should be pat, r- rushing the passer a little bit more than he has been. But they've been playing him off the ball a little bit, and we've seen some explosiveness out of him getting the tackles for a loss, things of that nature. So seeing a guy like. Hopper getting in there, Wingo, all these guys, Johnson, Torrance, all these young guys. Just put them all in there, see what they've got, and see what you have for the future. This might be a game where we're coming away thinking, here's the Gators' future, and let's run it. You'd love That's exactly what the goal should be besides getting an easy win and getting everyone out healthy is see what you've got for the future. But let's see what they got this week. Uh, right now, I mean, we got to stick with the short term, though, with the idea of COVID still existing and affecting college football. As we mentioned earlier, this is Florida's first away trip since Texas A&M. And when we come back from this quick break, we're going to be talking about their new protocols and what they plan on doing to make sure it's a safe trip and completely limit any exposure to coronavirus. So Florida did get to travel to Jacksonville to play Georgia, but I mean, they rode five or six buses there. It was different, a lot more spaced out. NFL-sized locker rooms. It's all good. Obviously seems to have been fine because they've only had one positive COVID test show up in the two updates we've gotten since. Definitely, or I would assume that's an isolated incident and not related to the game. So with that being said, though, now they got to get on a plane. Now they've got to really be careful. Now they're going to Vanderbilt, not NFL-sized locker rooms. They... It, it's just a different environment. And luckily, Vanderbilt seems to be doing pretty well with this stuff. They've had some COVID issues, but they also are taking things seriously. They've limited their fans, the people they're allowing into their games, so significantly that parents were only just allowed to start going back in, at least according to Mullen. So with that being said, Demetrius, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into why people should naturally be concerned. But beyond what Dan, what Dan said, 
They're going to get on the plane and ensure everyone's wearing a mask at all times, limit food and beverage because you've got to keep that mask on. Even when you're going to sleep, you got to keep it on. Uh, stuff like that, making the sessions very limited in the locker room, in and out, small groups. But besides that, what else can you do? You really can't do anything. And that's a that, that was the biggest tell all about this college football season is that there's only so much you can do. You can test every day if you want to, if you have the money. But we know that teams only test three times a week unless they're in the actual coronavirus COVID outbreak protocol where they have to test every single day. You know, th there's only so many things that these guys can do. They can wear masks. They can wash their hands. They can make sure that they're not meeting in large gatherings. But outside of that, the players are going to do what they want to do after class or after practices or before practices. They're going to be going out. On this plane, clearly there were a couple of guys before the Texas A&M game who had the virus. They didn't report their symptoms because, you know, like me, I get allergies too. They thought that they had allergies. You know, but as, as obviously as college football players in this pandemic, you have to be able to report this. And we've talked about this plenty of times. So now they're going on a plane again to Vandy. It's, it's going to be a short plane ride, but you're on the plane and you're trying to get there healthy. So you have to keep your mask on. You have to be able to socially distance as much as possible or physically distance, however you want to say it, as much as possible. They're not going to be able to get two to three planes as if they're doing that with buses. You know, Going from Gainesville to Jacksonville, which is about an hour, 45 minutes, maybe two hours max with traffic, that's pretty easy. But being on a plane, being so close together, if one person has it, it's possible it could spread again. Who knows? But the, the issue is that they have to just stay doing their protocols, make sure that they, ne they never break protocols. I do remember Dan Mullen or Scott Strickland talking about how they had a dinner. So pretty much the players were side-by-side. -side. Dan's talked about how they're changing that up. They're not going to have the side-by-side -side dinners anymore. They might have more assigned seating, maybe more lockdown in their hotel rooms as much as possible. Maybe they can't go down to the lobby I do know that with the Jaguars, when they travel to games in the NFL, they're in their hotel and they're you're in your room the whole time. Even the PR guys have to be in their room. They can't go down to the bar or wherever they're at. They can't mean you know go around the hotel kind of mingling with people. They can't go to other people's rooms. And that's the type of restrictions that you might have to put on these guys just for a night or two until you fly back to Gainesville and continue doing whatever you're doing. So... This, like feels you said, like, Zach, there's this feels like years ago, and I'll let you get back to your point, but like it was only a couple months ago when NBA players were getting in trouble and snitched on for inviting girls to their hotel rooms. Sure. <laughs> and, uh, and and that actually happened during the in the NFL. Um, a Seattle Seahawks player tried to dress up his girlfriend or whoever ha he had That's right. in, in a Seattle Seahawks jersey. It's actually very, very – I, I want to see the footage personally just because it's very unique an interesting way to do this. Like he put, I don't know if, the, I don't know if she put pads on, but she had the Jersey on, tried to make her look like a player. Didn't work out, but I would like to see the footage just to see how, you know, he broke it down just so, you know, we can break down the footage maybe on the podcast one day if they ever release it, but it's things like that where, yeah, you have to make sure that these guys are being smart. The, the, that's the moral of the story. They have to be able to be as smart as they can be for college players who are a little bit more maybe immature than, your typical NFL players, but look at look at what we've seen for NFL. So everybody's human at the end of the day. As long as they get there, get out of there healthy as possible, that's all you can ask for. That's all we hope for, and I guess we're about to find out. On a scale of 1 to 10, though, as a fan, how worried are you about this team in particular? 
potentially having an outbreak coming from another away road trip. And obviously you can't speak for knowing the people personally and the decisions they'll make, but just from your sense of how they're taking care of things. As a fan of the game of football, you mean? Sure, I guess. Yeah. I just I just mean like handling this whole situation. Like, would you be, how nervous on a scale of 1 to 10 would you be as a fan with this team going on another road trip? Oh, if I was a fan, oh, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, on a scale of 1 to 10, really, they've taken a couple road trips now. It's not as if this is their first road trip. It's the first one in a while, but... I would. I wouldn't be too concerned. I mean, it's kind of difficult to say you can't be too concerned since the last time they did take a trip, there was a huge outbreak. But I think that now that they've sort of rebuilt their protocols, they've they've taken the time. Dan Mullen's taken the time to actually make sure that these things are taken care of. As long as you believe in what they're doing, what they're saying, I wouldn't be too concerned. Maybe my concern level is around a four. You know, I'm a little concerned, but at the end of the day, it's not that much. It's a failing grade of a concern level. I'm not too worried. It's just, it is what it is. You know, if, if, if it does happen and they do have an outbreak, you know, they did all they could. And at least we know that they've tried and they, they've, they've done the protocols that they need to do. Right. I think I'm the same as you, and especially to hammer the point home of this team knows what they're capable of now. And, you know, it's not a perfect trend. Well, we see teams that are having outbreaks, LSU, not teams that are going to be contending. Naturally, players don't necessarily care too much. And maybe they're not having outbreaks, but South Carolina, a team that just fired its head coach, well, two defensive backs, starting corners, opted out for the NFL draft. Like Their season is, you thought it was done, it just got 10 times worse, potentially, the more that happens. This team knows that for the first time since the McIlwain era, they could be going to Atlanta. And they could be going and contending. So maybe you have a couple of knuckleheads that could ruin it for everyone. But I would like to give the kids the benefit of the doubt that they've learned from last time. And there is a lot at stake here. Yeah, there's a lot at stake. And I think that that's one of the biggest reasons why I wouldn't be too concerned. Because these guys know if they have to cancel more games... Who knows how, that, how that's going to impact their rankings at the end of the season for the college football playoffs? Who knows how that's going to impact their play? I know that they came back after the the hiatus and played well, but it's it, it, it's what if it's it scary starters? to think about. Yeah, what if it like some they got lucky that last time the guys that were held out of the game weren't necessarily weren't, playing their best ball of their careers at right. that point. Say say they lose Kyle Trask and maybe like the whole quarterback room. I mean, or offensive I, line go, starters. Like, just all it takes is one offensive lineman, and when they're all together, then it's all five. You know what I mean? Like, right. And of course, this is all speculative, but just that idea could literally put the wrench in what has been a culture defining season for Florida. Right. Exactly. And and that's and that's the biggest issue. And and like you said, the first time since the you know the great McElwain era, I know you know how good of a coach he was for the Gators. I know you guys have been talking him up. Uh, I've been reading a little bit about your history. You know, McElwain was one of the best Florida coaches. You know, obviously took him to the SC championship game. He had to have been good, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But it, yeah, you know, this is the first time that they get to go to the SEC title game potentially. I know we keep saying it as if it's already happened and. Maybe people think I were jinxing them, but everybody's saying it. And this is going to be something that they have a lot to play for. So I think that they're going to take this very seriously. They're going to get on the, the plane to Vandy. 
and they're going to come back home, and everything's going to be peachy, and we're going to move on to the next week against Kentucky. Let's hope so, man. With that, I think that'll just about do it for today's episode of Lockdown Gators. So if you haven't already, make sure to go and subscribe, rate, and review. Anywhere you can listen to pods, you can listen to Lockdown Gators. Of course, go and follow us on Twitter, myself at Zach underscore Goodall, Demetrius at Demetrius82, most importantly, Lockdown Gators at Locked On Gators. We'll catch up with you guys next time.